Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. And now the Blues work their way into the hurricane zone. Jordan Kyler, he sealed off the wall. Hurricanes trying to free it, and they will. Natchez will pick it up. No game control. Crosses center ice into the St. Louis zone. He'll crisscross. Hang on to the puck. Dean Jesper Foster will score! Short-handed! Marty Natchez snaps one past Billy Uso. And Carolina, the number one ranked penalty-killing unit, goes offensive to get a 1-0 lead. Niederreiter. Oh, nifty backhand pass, and Staldow sets up on Rafast with the shot, and Uso with the save. His best save so far this period. This line just dogging the puck, still on it. Foss throws a pass out in front, and bounces, and Uso will cover that up. Well, that line had four grade-A chances. Now Seth Jarvis with it. Jarvis puts a shot, and he'll score! Oh, Seth Jarvis! St. Louis in the second period to Svechnikov at the top of the circle. Back to D'Angelo. His backhand pass, Tara Vinen. Aho. Svechnikov. They score! Oh, that is a beauty! Happy birthday, Mr. Svechnikov! Carolina gets the three goal lead right back. It's 4 1. Hurricane out. Tracy is it? Is a chance at Ranta! Gets across on Bushnevich. He just robbed him. Just robbed Pavel Bushnevich. Ten seconds left here in this one. Opportunity for Walker. Wrist one on that Ronta gets to. Carolina gets to the puck, sends it to the neutral zone. Three seconds left. Two seconds left. But clock hits zero. And the Carolina Hurricanes with an emphatic start to a three-game road trip. They beat the St. Louis Blues tonight 7-2. to This is the Canes Corner Podcast with host Adam Gold, presented by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. The Canes Corner Podcast is part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, Adam Gold. Welcome to the Canes Corner Podcast. I am Adam Gold, and the Carolina Hurricanes are 7-2 winners over the St. Louis Blues tonight. Uh, and here's the thing. I'm gonna, I was going to say that that's kind of a misleading score because there were two empty net goals, but I kind of think that's about how much better Carolina was than St. Louis tonight. Because Carolina, again, still didn't get quite enough juice out of the squeeze in the first period. They led one nothing after one, uh, but the goals flowed early in the second, and from there on in... Uh, the Hurricanes were just flat better. Now, St. Louis made the push, and in the third period, the Blues kind of tilted the ice, but you knew that was going to happen with a three-goal deficit. Uh, but the uh, the Hurricanes, awfully, awfully good tonight. Uh, and this is, the, this is the type of a night where you get rewarded 
for being the better team. Unlike against Dallas, unlike against the Rangers, where you didn't get rewarded for being the better team. Uh, So the Hurricanes now have their second win in their last three games. Uh, And in this 11-game stretch, and back before Carolina, they they played the Kraken, had that three-day break before they played Colorado. And you were looking at the next 11 games. Colorado, Philly, at Pittsburgh, at Toronto, Washington, the Rangers, the Lightning, Dallas, at St. Louis, and we have two more, at Washington, at Tampa Bay. That 11-game stretch, 10 playoff teams. Philadelphia, obviously not a playoff team. 10 playoff teams. What could you do in that 11 games? And if you, I thought going in, man, anything, anything above 500 would be good. An acceptable result would be 12 points. How about 5-4-2? and two? Well, they're 4-3-2 and two with these two games left. Still haven't put it in the barn yet, but uh, they have played much better than their record is in this stretch. Uh, so good for Carolina tonight, uh, and good for, in a lot of ways tonight. I mean, let's start off with... Just the first goal of the game. You're looking, you haven't had any puck luck, right? No puck luck. Martin Natchez is, if there's one thing that I believe that Natchez has excelled at this year, it is the penalty kill. He's been really good on the kill. And Natchez gets out there uh, and he creates havoc and he's an elite skater, which gives you an advantage, obviously. Jacob Slavin wins a battle behind the net. He gets it to Natchez. Natchez skates around everybody, gets over to the right side. He goes from the left side to the right side and really is just throwing it at the net. It's all he's doing is throwing it at the net. But sometimes when you throw it at the net. And now the Blues work their way into the Hurricanes zone. Jordan Cairo, he's sealed off the wall. Hurricanes trying to free it, and they will. Natchez will pick it up. No game control. Crosses center ice into the St. Louis zone. He'll crisscross. Hang on to the puck. Dean Jesper Foster. He'll score! Short-handed! Marty Natchez snaps one past Billy Uso. And Carolina, the number one ranked penalty-killing unit, goes offensive to get a 1-0 lead. See, it wasn't really even supposed to be a shot. And frankly, it wouldn't have been had Justin Falk not been there. But it went off Justin Falk and in Jesper Foss at the front of the top of the crease. Uh, but just a smart play. I mean, just flip it at the net. See what happens. Hey, at the very least, maybe you get an, an offensive zone faceoff. Remember, you're trying to kill the penalty. Uh, so just a smart play. Ends up in a goal. Uh, by the way, Slavin and Faust with the assist. Jacob Slavin, I thought, was very good tonight. But we could say that just about every other game. And Carolina didn't get enough out of the first period. Because they had some great chances. Uh, The stall line was dynamite in this game. They were great in the first period. Uh, Two really, really good chances. Stahl had a backhand chance that he just um, lifted wide. Uh, And then Foss took a pass, I believe, from Niederreiter right at the top of the crease and and couldn't beat Ville Husso. Uh, But that line was just leaning on St. Louis all night long. There were other chances. Uh, Aho and Jarvis had a great chance together. Uh, Jarvis made a pass in front to Aho that either he deflected it wide or Huso got a 
piece of it. Uh, not sure which is true, uh, but they had great chances to score still. one nothing, better than nothing. And Carolina went into the locker room and came out in the second period, and it was the same thing. It was an extension of the first. Uh, and Carolina was really good in their own end. Uh, you see Carolina get the puck out. Tara Vinen just kind of spun around and th- knew that Jarvis was co- going into the offensive zone and just threw it out and let Jarvis essentially skate onto the puck. And then Jarvis did nasty things to Colton Perenko. I mean, uh, just a dynamite play, used his quickness. And honestly, if you're Perenko, you're probably going to not want to watch that tape because it almost seemed like he allowed it to happen. We're going to talk to Shane Willis about this in a little bit, but it almost looked like he allowed it to happen. But Pareko got worked. Uh, Jarvis on his offside, too, so it wasn't like he could protect the puck uh, away from him. I mean, he didn't try to. He just ducked back in uh, and then put a shot short side about, you know, knee high on uh, Huso, and it beats him between the pad and the post, it's just not a good goal to allow if you're St. Louis. Uh, It's not a good goal for Pareko to allow to happen. It's not a good goal for Uso to allow to happen. But it does give you some insight into the the super talent of Seth Jarvis. Uh, And for there's a lot of people like wonder, does Carolina have enough natural goal scorers? That kid might be it. He might be their best natural goal scorer since Jeff Skinner. And for a guy who went 18 games without a goal, numbers 11 and 12 came tonight. Uh, Andrei Svechnikov, numbers 24 and 25 came tonight. Um, the, the, the first one was a power play goal that came uh, late in the second period that restored Carolina to a three-goal lead. Uh, just it was actually his second really good scoring chance of that power play. And when we go through the goals and we'll spend a, a couple of minutes doing that in a second, um, it was the second chance for Svechnikov. Uh, and finally they elevated a puck when half the net from like from, you know, uh, the waist up is available. Finally, they elevated a puck and got a goal. Brett Pesci elevated a puck today and got a goal. Pesci, sixth of the year. Uh, That was just part of the early part of the second period. I think Carolina won this game in the first 25 minutes. They went up 3-0. Now, um, St. Louis would make it 3-1, but Carolina restored it right away to go 4-1. But to me, the way Carolina played the first 25 minutes of this game uh, really was too much for the Blues to handle. Now, the Blues were without um, Tory Krug, so you're missing your best puck-moving defenseman. Uh, but it isn't like St. Louis isn't good. They are struggling right now at home, especially at home. Uh, but the Blues have kind of fallen on uh, hard times. They've, they have fallen all the way to third. Uh, I don't know that they're in danger of falling below third, uh, but they have fallen uh, pretty far uh, off the pace in the Central Division. I mean, Colorado was by a mile the best team in that division, but uh, I think they're uh, they're kind of too far almost behind Minnesota uh, as we check standings in the NHL in the Central Division. Uh, well, they're only three points behind Minnesota. Minnesota's now won five in a row, but the Blues at one point were a, a clear number two, and now they're just 
one point ahead of Nashville. They do have a game in hand. They're one point ahead of Nashville uh, for the third and final spot in the Central before you get into wild card issues. Uh, although the wild card is just an absolute mess in the West. There's a lot. There's going to be, that's going to go down all the way to the last week of the season. Uh, there's going to be teams that uh, go from 10th to 8th. I mean, I think Winnipeg ain't out of it. Um, they have started to play better. Dallas is obviously right there. Edmonton is good, uh, or at least they're going to be in it. Vegas might miss the playoffs. They might miss the playoffs. They had a hell of a win today, though. They had a hell of a win today. They were up. They were down four one. They was it four one? No, they were down three nothing. Uh, ended up tying it at three. Then they were down four three, tied it at four, and uh, Dodonov, the guy they traded but got the trade voided because they had to trade him to uh, for salary cap reasons. He scores the overtime goal. Let's get to the goals, shall we? Uh, and then we'll talk to Shane Willis. I won't spend too much more time uh, on this. We've already uh, played for you the Natchez goal, the shorthanded goal, but just a, a, a quick refresher. Uh, Jesper Foss, Jacob Slavin win a, win a puck battle behind the net. Uh, Slavin gets it to Natchez. Martin skates it out, does what he does best, gets all the way over below the faceoff circle, wide to the right-hand side, just throws it at the front of the net. Goes off Justin Falk and in. Hey, all you uh, all you Falk haters always wanted him to score goals for her for the Hurricanes. So there you go. He did one nothing after one. Carolina with the lead early in the second period. Defensive zone battle won by Cole. Teravainen gets the puck, spins around, throws it to Jarvis, uh, who did unspeakable things to Colton Pareko and Billy Huso. <laughs> Now Seth Jarvis with it. Jarvis puts a shot and he'll score! Oh, Seth Jarvis! With the nifty hands and Jarvis, his 11th of the year, puts Carolina up 2-0, a minute 7 into the second period here. That was a tremendous goal. Uh, bad goal to allow if you're uh, Pareko and Huso, uh, but great goal for Jarvis to score his first of what would be a two-goal night for Seth Jarvis. A little over two minutes later, another board battle. This is what Carolina did all night. They won battles on the wall. Uh, Domi, Stepan, Kokaniemi. Kokaniemi is the only one who's going to get an assist as Brett Pesci came cruising down the slot. The Canes get it to Pesci in the slot. He scores! An absolute rocket off of the stick of Brett Pesci. And Pesci... Carolina up 3-0 here in St. Louis in the second period. Brett Pesci uh, on a little bit of a goal heater for him. Um, By the way, Tony D'Angelo had a bunch of chances to score tonight uh, and didn't get one to go. Uh, But but Pesci, he had a goal called off. I should say, I I mean, I guess Pesci's not in a goal heater. Uh, It was his first goal in six games, but he had a goal at Pittsburgh. I'm trying to remember the game where he had one called off for, I guess it was offside. Uh, but Pesci, he's got a little offense to him. We need more out of that from Brett. Does Brett understand that if he could score, you know, 12 to 15 goals a year, he'd probably make $3 million more? Come on, Brett. You're going to start a family eventually, right? 
He's uh, He got engaged this year. Of course, we don't know when he's going to get married. He doesn't know uh, when he's going to get married. Uh, all right. Uh, so it's Carolina 3 nothing in the lead, 3-16 into the period. Uh, then, a few minutes later, we had the issue with um, Derek Stepan getting hit by Torbchenko. Torbchenko hits Stepan along the wall. It looked like a clean hit today. I mean, it was heavy hit. Uh, and the puck was gone, but the puck was just gone. So I had no problem with that hit at all. But Jesperi Kokaniemi came to his, you know, his line mate's defense. He threw hands. And then now we have, now we have the parade to the penalty box. We get the two for the instigator, the five for fighting, and a 10-minute misconduct. So we're done with Kokaniemi for the period. He can't play anymore. Kokaniemi, as a result... Uh, played just nine minutes tonight. I thought he was he was pretty impactful uh, for the nine minutes he played. Uh, and Carolina's dealing with, what, their third power play, fourth power play? Might have been their fourth power play of the game. All right? Good thing is, penalty kill has been elite, and it was elite tonight, even though they did allow the power play goal later. Um, but they allowed the, um, you know, the, that fourth power play, Carolina... Uh, is in the process of killing it. Teravainen is going to get what might have been a breakaway, and Jordan Cairo had to take a penalty. So he took a penalty. He didn't think he took a penalty, but he did. And so you end it, of course, as soon as, soon as it goes to four-on-four, four, St. Louis scores. That was the one bad play I thought Pesci made, is that he and Shea were back, and they were sort of in position, but Pesci needs, needs to go down to, uh, to discourage the pass. Uh, or at least to make it difficult, but he didn't. And uh, Pavel Buchnevich scores the first goal of the game for, for St. Louis, uh, and it's 3-1. As soon as the first penalty expires, though, Carolina gets the power play, and they had, I don't know how long, probably just a, just about a m- little bit more than a minute maybe on the power play, maybe a minute 15 they, were, they had to work with on the power play. Uh, and it just worked out beautifully. I don't know what the record is for behind-the-back passes on a power play, but it was pretty fancy. Uh, you had uh, first D'Angelo, then Teravainen. He gave it to Aho. Aho with the seam pass, and Andre finished it off. To Svechnikov at the top of the circle. Back to D'Angelo. His backhand pass, Teravainen. Aho, Svechnikov, they score! Oh, that is a beauty! Happy birthday! Mr. Svechnikov, Carolina, gets the three-goal lead right back. It's 4-1 Hurricanes. Yeah, happy birthday, Andre. St. Louis would score again on the power play. Carolina five times in the penalty box. Got to stop that. Can't do that. Don't do that going to Washington. Don't do that going to Tampa Bay. You will not win either of those games if you commit five penalties in either of them. Um, But it makes it 4-2. So with five and a half minutes left, it's still 4-2. And Craig Berube pulls his goaltender on an offensive zone faceoff. So you got six attackers on. It's a two-goal game. It's five and a half minutes left. And you're thinking, man, this has not been a good situation for Carolina this year, at least the last month and a half or so. Uh, we don't can't afford uh, an extra attacker goal. And all of a sudden, you got four minutes, and St. Louis is tilted the ice in front of you. <sighs> don't worry about it. 
Andrei Svechnikov, Nino Niederreiter, each with empty net goals. That made it 6-2. Uh, Ian Cole got a slap shot through uh, late in the um, in the third period that Seth Jarvis deflected through for his second of the game. It was 17-55. Cole and D'Angelo with the assist. Uh, I think Tony might have had two assists on the game tonight. Anyway, either way. Uh, so Carolina got... Um, a seven-goal outburst for the game. Very nice. They needed uh, they needed a feel-good. They needed a slump-buster, if you will. And now they can take their newfound goal-scoring prowess to Washington against the Capitals, against whom uh, they have not yet beaten this year. What are they? Uh, 0-1-2 against the Caps this year. And uh, then go to Tampa, who you've beaten twice. This season, once I believe in overtime, uh, and the other just a couple of days ago in regulation. So, all right, a special treat for everyone from uh, from the Hurricanes, from the broadcast, from pregame, postgame intermissions. Not Alec Campbell, but my friend Shane Willis. Uh, I knew Alec was not going to be on tonight, so I texted Shane and said, "Hey, you can watch the game. Of course, he's going to watch the game." Uh, so, uh, and then we just started going back and forth about, uh, about what's been going on. Uh, and, uh, we, I don't know if we trashed Martin Natchez, we just say, and yeah, been playing well. Andre needs a goal. Both things happened. We should text before every game, Shane. We definitely should. I think, you know, our big thing was if the puck wasn't going to the back of the net, you know, we started ripping off guys and it just kind of kept going. <laughs> we didn't, we got a little cold at the end of the game. I think we got a little uh, greedy with what we were trying to do here and taking far too much credit at him for what was really <laughs> happening in St. Louis tonight. Hey, for some, I, I talked to Rod about this. I wouldn't call Rod, even though he scored a ton of goals in his career, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call Rod a goal scorer, right? Y- you, you were more of a natural goal scorer for a guy like Svechnikov. And, I mean, to be perfectly honest, some of the other guys that have not scored, Tavo Teravainen, uh, not so much Jordan Stahl and Jesper Foss because their value to the team is, so, is felt way beyond whether or not they score goals. But for those two guys, for them to not have scored goals a lot, I mean, Svechnikov was 0 for his last 9, Teravainen is now 0 for his last 9. Do, I mean, did these guys go through, like, issues with confidence too? Oh, no question. And I think it's just the nature of the sport when you get into, you know, a slump, if you will. But again, they're playing well and they're getting chances, um, you know, not only five on five, but on the power play. And I think it's just that defines the difference between the true, when you talk about natural goal scorers, like a guy like Ovechkin that, you know, whatever he touches and why everyone says he's the greatest goal scorer because it doesn't matter. He doesn't get into these. Um, kind of areas of not scoring, but I mean, to me, it's across the board for every player in the league besides your top top five elite goal scorers. And you can go around and, you know, find those guys that are scoring at will, you know, Connor McDavid, the Ovechkins. And I think it's just part of growing and maturing. I mean, we often forget that today Andre turned 22. <laughs> um, it is his fourth year, but right. those are things you continue to learn about areas on the ice. You can't, he's always going to have an elite level shot. And I think you just kind of get in those. Again, this is probably the toughest time of year. The late February, March to me playing was always the toughest because that's when the body starts going, Hey, can we take a break? And there's no break for these guys. And 
again, when you talk about goal scoring, the streak can go now quickly the other way for Andrei Spechnikov. Um, with having that role in the right direction and playing every other day, now you're jumping the ball going the other way too. So it does happen for sure. Well, it, he the thing about Andre, uh, and more so Andre with Marty, if we're being uh, being honest, and I like to be honest on the podcast. Uh, Andre's for the most part really played well. I mean, I haven't not liked his game just about. I mean, most nights he's been a noticeable player. He's been physical. Uh, his defensive play has greatly improved over the last, really, maybe even from the start of this year to where he is now. I mean, um, I, I'm not saying Rod's going to use him shorthanded, but I mean, I could certainly see that going on in the next uh, couple of years, throwing him out there uh, to help kill penalties, uh, as long as he starts to com- you know, really wane some of the silly penalties out of his uh, system. But I mean, the rest of his game is right there, so... Uh, and then you and I were talking before the game. Uh, that's the one thing that I've really liked this year about Natchez. I think he's becoming a really good penalty killer. And if he wasn't, he wouldn't be part of, he's really like the second or third you know, fo- set of forwards on the ice. And of course, he starts the game. It was a lucky shorthanded goal, uh, but he got one. And and something that he needed. As we were talking about before the game, He you know he hasn't been getting those great chances. You know, and just missing. He just kind of has has been playing well, and I think Rod looking at Marty and how much I know Rod pushes him on the defensive side of things. I think if you went back and watched this game tonight, he's out there late in the game when Andre had that empty header as well. But he had a really, really strong defensive game tonight for Marty Natchez, and it's amazing now when you watch games how much that transitions to the other end of the ice. And when you get goals, because you're doing it right, what we hear Rod talk about so much. And again, this was one of Marty's uh, best games of the year, I think, tonight. The way he competed, the way he played defensively, and then, you know, the goal at the other end, shorthanded. And he had a really, really strong game tonight that now we always talk about it. Now it's about that consistency. Take that confidence and, and do it again against your arch rival in, in Washington, who you haven't beat this year on Monday night. Yeah, this, uh, this, I looked at this 11 game stretch at the beginning of it. I thought, Man, if Carolina just five, four, and two in this eleven game stretch, some some equivalent to get you to eleven points, rather uh, twelve points out of out of these eleven games, and they're pretty much on it now. You could go certainly go and lose both of these games at uh, at Washington and at Tampa. These are not going to be easy games at all, um, but they are sort of due against Washington, and I do think it's a team they can play against. I don't know why they've played poorly, but they really haven't played well in any of the three games. They've played really well both times against Tampa this year. I assume Tampa will be ready for them. I assume uh, that Nikita Kucherov will certainly be uh, ready to go in that game. Um, But did Carolina, in a way, win this game in the first 25 minutes? I think they did. I mean, I think they set the tempo, and when this team starts scoring like that, and you can just tell the the connection they had and the movement they had, which they had against Dallas, they used to score, but the zone possession time again. And then when you're clipping along and every line is clipping along, that's why this team is as dangerous as it is. And why Rod and the organization didn't want to make any moves to lose anyone in that locker room. Because even now you've added Max Domi, but if Jordan Marnock was there or Steve Lawrence, I mean, they've been playing like that together for so long. And that's something they just didn't want to disrupt it. 
they haven't played great against Washington. I think that's going to be one of the messages from Rod um, going into that game. And that focus is, hey, we need to send a little bit of a message here. And part of the reason, the other part I love tonight, and I go back to Kokaniemi fight and what Max Domi brings to the table. And I always look back at last year when you played Tampa. The way this team now, and it goes all the way to Sebastian Ajo, the physicality that every guy is playing with now is at a different level. Yeah. And I think it's changed the way teams also look at the Hurricanes. Of like, hold on, they're, they're kind of coming hard tonight. They're not just trying to play a skilled game. And I think that's really helped them throughout this year and definitely again here tonight. All right. Uh, you mentioned the Kokaniemi thing. What you, what'd you make of that? Did I mean, I didn't really have any problem with the way it was uh, adjudicated. To me, I guess that's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, I thought the the hit on Stepan, maybe it was borderline. I thought it was a good hockey play. Uh, and then I don't mind you stepping to the defense of your teammate, but 17 minutes for uh, for Carolina to be without Kokaniemi is a long time. Yeah, well, two parts to this. One, I agree with you, the hit wasn't, uh, I'm not saying the hit was dirty, it was not, you know, was it a little bit, after the puck was gone, maybe, but I just love the fact that Kokanami is saying, hey, it wasn't that bad, but you're not going to hit us like that tonight. I also think maybe Kokanami, and he's been working with Brendan Smith a lot, said, hey, I need to get a little bit of this out, see if it's working. <laughs> um, he looked very strong in that bout. Um, also knowing it's probably a guy he can handle, but I just like I just like the response of like, hey, dirty or not, you're not going to go after one of my guys like that. Um, and the other part of it is I completely dislike the instigator rule, which that's that's an argument to go on for hours. Right. But the two, the two, five, and ten is ridiculous. Just get, just if you want to give them instigators, give them two. Give right. them an extra two. The ten is ridiculous. Yeah, but we saw that with Pesci. Although I didn't yeah. understand why did Pesci get the ten. Because it was the the first, especially since they called the elbowing on Nemesnikov for Dallas. If you if they right. don't call the elbow, I can sort of understand it, but they did call the elbow, right? Pesci so technically, got, that instigated Brett. Right. So I I didn't understand why you also gave Brett ten. I mean, he was missing. For, he missed the rest of the second period. Like that's yeah. that's well, a, it goes it goes back to the automatic because he instigated the fight portion. He gets the two, five, and ten. I mean, that was because Brett had a solid four shots in before that guy knew what was happening. But he also did throw the first elbow, which totally started the whole situation. I agree, but I think they need to get rid of the ten minute stuff. It's silly. Yeah. Well, yesterday there's not that much fights anymore. No one's taking advantage of anybody. The players know what they're doing. Yesterday's game was, I I thought, officiated poorly. Not to the point where I think it gave a team an advantage. I just think it was officiated poorly. Uh, but, I mean, early in the game, I actually, I think it was Nemesnikov as well. I thought Trocek might have gotten away with a high hit. Uh, and then Nemesnikov roughed him back. And they they just, they were staring at it. Looked the other way both times. Uh, but yeah. And was, the, Jamie, the Jamie Ben cross-check on Trocek before his unsportsmanlike. Right. Yeah. like Right in front of the official. Just, just call it. Just call what you see. Uh, yep. So, okay, we. I thought Carolina was great in the first period, uh, and I think that carried over because the uh, even though they probably should have had more out of the first period, which has sort of been a theme for the last few weeks, uh, they still they did have the lead. Uh, but I just thought they leaned on 
a pretty big physical St. Louis team. Uh, and then that just carried over to the second period. I'll get to the, the Jarvis goal in a second, but I thought the third goal that made it three, nothing. And that was still early is at what three sixteen when Pesci scored. I mean, that was the fourth line winning battles on the wall and Pesci was alone in the slot and great shot. But that's, that was really what they were about tonight. Yeah. And I think they controlled the game, as you said, and they were, all four lines were going. You mentioned that goal by Pesci created by the hit by Stepan in the corner and the work by Domi on the boards. And when they're playing like that, the depth of this team shows through because St. Louis, to me, doesn't have that depth into their third and fourth lines. And then when their best aren't their best, because I thought Perron, Tarasenko, O'Reilly weren't great tonight, you have no chance against Carolina Hurricanes. Right. And Again, it goes back to the tempo and the physicality early on, and you take out their best players, then it shows how deep the Carolina Hurricanes are because it's tough for teams to match that. The The way the stall line has played, it's the only line Rod has really left together, um, not for all year, but once he put them back together, I think it was probably early January. They have not. That, that's, been, that's been a thing every single night. I think that's written in permanent marker now. It's on the whiteboard in permanent mark. He's not just not yeah. leave it. Um, what I mean, obviously, Stahl is just an elite defensive player. But what makes that line so good? Well, two parts to me. I think with Stahl and again Nino playing heavy, the physicality they bring and how they can control the puck just with their size. And then the way Jesper, to me, reads off of them and how they're interchanging in the offensive zone and knowing, oh, he's in trouble. He's going to put it over here. They almost are the chemistry of all three guys is something you don't see too often. Um, but they're always in the right place when they're losing pucks, moving it, and they don't throw pucks away. I, I was looking at it tonight, and the one shift, they just continue to roll, yeah. get a chance, continue to roll. It almost goes back to the football scenario of, we're a running team and we're going to run the clock and eventually we're going to score because we're going to stay down here longer than you're not even going to get to our end. And then there's a whistle and they just go off the ice. They just control the clock. They control the game with not forcing those plays, you know, and and all three of them been around the game for so long, like the veteran guys, you know, they're not young kids coming up the board and like ripping one through the slot on a hope play. They're just like, no, it's not there. Let's put it back in behind the net again. We'll grind it again. And just that commitment, I think, to, to playing that way every shift, along with their size, just dominates defense. And there's not many, you know, a pair of defensemen with the size and strength that control that once they have full possession. Yeah, and that, that shift, I, I know the exact shift you're talking about, it created two pretty good chances. Stahl had a backhand chance wide, and then eventually Faust had one right out on the uh, top of the crease uh, that Huso made a good save on. Um, but I... So they're sort of like body blows in a boxing match. You know, yeah. it, it might not get you now, but they're they're wearing teams down with that with that trio. I think to me, yeah. J- Jordan was as good as anybody in uh, on the ice in this game. He didn't play a ton; he only played uh, like just over fifteen and a half minutes. But I thought Jordan was. And, and when you're on the road, you know they're going to keep. You know, Bruby's going to keep O'Reilly away from Stall. He tried, but at the same time. O'Reilly's probably one of the bigger guys that can maybe control them. So if you're out there against a smaller line, like your third or fourth line, these guys are just going to dominate them. Um, you know, and then the way, you know, Ajo and 
young Seth Jarvis continues to play well. And, and you're going up against other teams' best line. Uh, so he continues to do things and continues to take steps forward. Again, tonight, um, the first goal he scored in the second period, that's elite. Yep. Under the stick, quick shot. That elite level of skill from a very young player who continues to gain confidence. Yeah, when, when he scored those two goals against Washington, you could tell. And uh, I think um, he, as much as anything, just needed something positive just to get him completely back. Uh, I think he's going to play with the two Finns the rest of the year. Uh, I think that's a thing. And that goal, when you looked at when I looked at it on replay, what you didn't realize, it, I mean, he really... To do that, did, do you think Colton Pareko expected any of that? Because Pareko's a big guy, and he's not a terrible skater. Uh, and Jarvis just worked him. Uh, and that's a quick shot that I, I think Huso probably wants back. Yeah, I think that I think Pareko, and we we hear Rod talk about it all the time, it's amazing. It's a perfect example of a guy taking a breath. Because I think Pareko's thinking, I'm close enough to him, he's not going to score and my goaltender from this angle won't let this in. And so it gives him enough room, Seth Jarvis, to get under Franco's stick because he's kind of not getting lazy, but he hasn't drove into him to kind of control the smaller, faster player. And then he gets a quick shot off the goal he wasn't even ready for because of how quick he got it off, and it's in the back of the net. So a great example to show that, but better example of the skill of young Seth Jarvis on a very veteran strong defenseman and an elite-level goaltender has played so well this year. What else have you seen uh, about Jarvis? Um, The thing that jumps out to me about him is he has a competitive streak about him that he's going to play bigger than he actually... I don't know what he's listed at, 5'10 or something. Um, I think he's going to play bigger. I really do. Well, and I think, you know, so many things that he's gone through this year has been your, you know, your rookie season for these kids that are, you know, learning the game, the physicality, all this thing. But I, I completely agree. The way he comes out with no fear and just fire in his belly, he gets, he'll go in a corner with anybody and take a run. Even if he falls down, he's getting back up. He's like, well, I showed up, you know, <laughs> and he continues to play with that kind of fire. I think he feeds off of a guy like Sebastian, who's continuing to play like that as well. Um, but yeah, I think he has no fear. He gets in the corner. He does it right. And, you know, that's something these coaches and Rod's going to push on. You, you can't play on the outside. You have to get inside. You have to compete along the boards. And he continues to do that night in and night out. And now the puck starts going in that. You talk about a streak that he could get on um, with his skill. Look out because, you know, we know what this team can do. If all four lines start scoring, they'll be tough to beat. Oh, there's uh, there's no question about that. Um, I, I for for I had some technical issues here. I could not get the hour broadcast, so I was listening to the St. Louis broadcast, uh, and I will just say I'm glad I don't follow the Blues. I'll just <laughs> leave it at that. I'm just gonna leave it at that. Um, but they they spent pretty much the entire pregame and the first period talking about Carolina's forecheck. And they showed, they showed a whole bunch of uh, advanced metrics about percentage dump-ins, percentage retrievals, all of, these, uh, all of these things that show how Carolina is doing what they do to teams. Um, 
how would you describe Carolina's approach to a game? Um, well, obviously, you can tell that the Canes are built on their forecheck by what they do off of opening faceoffs because Jordan Stahl starts games most of the time to win a faceoff, and they get the red line, they shoot it in. But I think the thing that impressed me most about the team is how in tune every player is with what their job is on the forecheck. You don't usually find a guy who's out of position um, to create the turnover and cause that kind of pressure to create chances. And then the other part I love what the Canes do, we talk about the green light, about jumping up into the play on the rush. But the green light they have to get into the rotation. I mean, I don't know how many times I saw D'Angelo behind the net tonight. Yeah. You know, changing with guys, making passes back to the top, and then getting shots through with traffic around. Just that movement and motion and the, the willingness to do it over and over again. I think that's the other part. They don't turn away from it. They don't ever say, oh, it's not working tonight. I'm going to go try and go one-on-one this time. They continue to put it in and continue to go that way. Um, you know, besides the start of the third period where the Blues kind of made their, which you expected, they were going to make their push. Yeah. Um, the Canes controlled that game with that offensive pressure and all those numbers that they were showing you, I mean, probably jumped off the page because they are so good at it. Yeah, I mean, they control the game. I mean, uh, they, they won... For against the team as big as St. Louis, and there's some size there. Uh, Carolina won, I don't know, seventy percent of the board battles. It looked like. Um, what uh, if if I had to ask you who your three stars of the game would be? Who would they be? Hmm, that's a great question. Thank you. <laughs> I would go. My first star. I'm I'm going to give it to Auntie Ronta, who we haven't talked about yet. Okay. But I thought he made some key saves at crucial times of the game. Uh, my second star, I'll give to Seth Jarvis because I thought he was the guy who set the tempo um, in that game. And then my third star, I'm torn um, between Natchez and Svetch because they both played very well in a situation where they both need to get going, and they were able to tonight. So I'll give you four. Okay, it's fine. Um <laughs> I actually, I, I loved Jordan Stahl tonight, and I loved Brett Pesci tonight. Although Slavin is always a star. Um, they do, they just, the penalty kill was so great tonight. Mm-hmm. They, they were eventually going to get one. I mean, St. Louis is a pretty good power play. Uh, they were yeah. eventually going to get one. And Ante almost got that one anyway. Um, but you can't, five penalties. Oh, you can't, you got to stay yeah. out of the, got to stay out of the box. But uh, Brett's offense yeah, is showing. We need to ask. Pesh, uh, if he's been working on that snapper, his last one in Pittsburgh was a rocket. Yeah. That was an absolute rocket. Um, just not the big slapper, just those quick snappers he's getting off have really come to the forefront for me on some of his goals this year. Well, if your slap shot doesn't, if your slap shot hits Justin Williams in the face <laughs> and it doesn't knock him out of the game, it's time to put the slap shot away. Yeah, I don't know. If, I know if we'll ever forget that. Nope, I won't. <laughs> I won't. I like to. I like to let Pesci know about it too. Every once in a while, just just like to let him know that I'll never forget that moment. Uh, give me before I let you go. Give me like one or two other things that you really liked about the way they approached this game. Um. Well, you touched on the penalty kill, which was good again. 
but you have the combination of the power play. I thought was very, very good. The movement they had, obviously yeah. the Sechnikov goal, because that's something that they haven't had recently. They've been getting power plays, but not the, those kind of goals to kind of almost break the backs of their team. You're scoring five on five and then the power play is a bonus, but that's something when you go in against the Cats in Tampa, when you get a power play, you have to make them pay. Yeah. Um, so I think that was, that was very good for me tonight. Um, and then I, I just go back to that line. I, I Trip talked about at the start of the game, the fourth line with Kokiemi, uh, Max Domi. I thought he continued to get better tonight. But Derek Stepan, yeah. putting him somewhere with two guys that he knows. Um, and I think that line would just continue to get better as well. Um, and I thought they played really, really good tonight, physical and doing everything right, and they got rewarded on the Pesci goal. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I, th- I thought Domi looked much better tonight than he did against Dallas. He played more, obviously. He played like four more minutes than he did against Dallas. Uh, and in one of the intermissions I was on with Dennis, and Dennis asked me if I thought Domi would ever play up further in the lineup. And my answer to that was, it really depends on Natchez. Because to me, that's the only spot that's up for grabs. Um, so if Natchez plays well, then the answer is no then he's going to play with Kokaniemi and whoever that other forward is. And uh, I love Derek Stepan. I'm, I'm, Alec and I are uh, co-chairman of the Derek Stepan for presidential campaign. So, oh, nice. I, oh, I, I love, I've, uh, he, is, he, has been, he has been such a pro for this team. He's smart. Yeah, I mean, he's not the fastest guy in the world anymore, but knows where to be. You can use him in all situations. He wins a lot of face-offs too. So he sort of balances yeah. out Kokaniemi on that fourth line. If you need a defensive zone win, he can get that for you. Uh, I like to keep him. I'd I'd love to keep him. You know, you know, in among the top twelve. I feel bad for uh, Stephen Lawrence, um, and when Jordan Martinook comes back, it's. I mean, he's going to draw back in, so we're probably going to lose Derek Stepan. Um, I'm not rooting for an injury because it almost seems like that's the only way he's going to get back in. But uh, I love yeah. I love Stepan. I mean- I agree. I think he plays such a valuable, smart role, like you said, just knowing the game and how smart he is um, with what he does, not only with the puck, but where he goes on the ice, defensively, offensively. And that's what impressed me most about him this entire year, because even early in the year, every time he got in, he produced. Yep. But then you have to come back out. And you talk about being a pro, and Rod talked about it um, after he got his you know milestone there a couple of weeks ago. And, and that really what impressed me the most about a guy who's in that situation because I've been there and there's a lot of guys that have been, you know, that guy who's been in the press box, in the lineup, in and out, and how hard it truly is. So that's kind of what really jumped out at me when he got that and the way he got it because he'd been out for a solid stretch and just jumped back and played the exact same way. I don't think people realize how much of a character's trait that is for for Derek Stepan and um, you know, Scott Burnside did a great story on him as well. Just kind of a little more in depth about him as a person, but it truly agree with you. And that's such an impressive feat and, and, you know, so happy to see him playing regular now because he's a, he is a huge asset to this team. I love Derek Stepan. By the way, they, they, they finally did give that goal to Seth Jarvis, uh, at the end. I like if, if that's Ian Cole's goal, then we have to check him for pine tar. Because I don't yeah. know how the puck would have gone where it went uh, based on where Ian Cole shot it. But it did look like Jarvis deflected it up. So 
Uh, there you well, go. Well, I'm still shocked, and Trip is upset because they did not give um, Domi an assist on the Pesci goal somehow. I don't know if he didn't touch <laughs> it, but I mean, he was all around it, but doesn't look like his prediction is going to happen. Yeah, it. Uh, he did not. They, it's still uh, it's still just Kokaniemi, but that was a fourth line <laughs> creation. There's no question about it. Uh, Shane Willis, thanks. Thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate it. Anytime, my friend. I'm always here. Little surprise, little expert uh, analysis from Shane Willis. We thank you for hanging out with us. It's the Canes Corner Podcast, brought to you by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina for the exterior of your home. You can find it at the Aluminum Company of North Carolina on Hamlin Road in Durham. No place like it. If it's for the exterior of your home, siding, roofing, windows, entry doors, storm doors, gutter helmets, front doors, got it all. I guess an entry door and a front door is probably the same thing, right? Aluminumcompany.com, free no obligation estimate can be had online. Follow the Canes Corner Podcast wherever you get your podcast. Give us a rating and a review. Uh, and uh, we'll be here for you after every Hurricanes game shows up automatically in your phone and it will show up in your phone again Tuesday morning after the Canes visit the Capitals. Bye. This has been the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold, presented by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. You can listen to this podcast at WRALsportsfan.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.